0: Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. I don't want to take up too much of our time this morning. Um, I would love to tell all sorts of wonderful stories about Dr. Liederbach, um, and I will regale you with one quick one. First semester, fall of 2000. Dr. Liederbach's a brand-new professor here at Southeastern. I think had been at James Madison uh, prior to to coming to Southeastern. Um, First day of class, he announces that no one should expect to make an A in his class at all. And and so as someone who had um, been used to making A's in classes, I thought, okay, I'll take that challenge. Um, Come to find out, he wasn't nearly as hard as um, he was putting on uh, that semester, Uh, but we have enjoyed um, a long time, more than 20 years of friendship, and, uh, and of course Dr. Aiken came during my time uh, here as well, and, uh, and we are privileged to be here. Um, I want to make one comment about the, the word on the front of this podium, go. Um, you, it is ingrained into the, the DNA of this seminary, um, but the day will come when you go from here, and, and you are going to take a piece of this school with you, And you're gonna take a piece of what your professors and your classmates have invested in you. And you can't underestimate the value that that is going to have. And even last night as, as my wife and I were walking around campus a little bit and reminiscing about our time here, um, it was a reminder of the investment that we had and even getting to see some of my, some of my old professors uh, here this morning has been, uh, has been such a wonderful privilege. So remember that as, you, as one of these days that you go from here, um, you're taking a piece of this school with you and, um, and that's how God intended it uh, to happen. Um, one last point of uh, personal privilege as we open in prayer this morning, um, we are going to be talking about uh, pro-life issues and, and particularly the abortion discussion. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes things happen when, when we focus on, um, on the beginning of life. Uh, we oftentimes don't focus on the end of life. And um, you, none of you in this room, except for perhaps my wife, uh, know these people. But there's a couple um, who were students of mine. In fact, I, I did their wedding, and uh, we did their premarital counseling, um, who this afternoon are, are burying their 13-month-old girl. Her name is Lottie. And perhaps you've seen them on uh, social media, uh, Ethan and Maggie Sandusky, um, and there's a uh, there's an endowment that's been started at the International Mission Board um, in honor of their little girl Lottie, who's named for Lottie Moon. And so I'm sorry, uh, um, but I want to pray for Ethan and Maggie as they uh, have the same convictions that you do, and the same convictions that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but they're experiencing the other side of it right now. And so i want to open us up in prayer and pray for them as well. Father, we come into your presence this morning. Lord, I'm grateful for these students that are here investing their lives into the study of your word. To, um, to prepare themselves to go from here and to proclaim the word of God everywhere that you send them. And make disciples of all nations and father we um, this this time of chapel is so important for the the training of that and and father we, we thank you for the the time that they have put into uh, being here this morning uh, Lord we also pray for uh, Ethan and Maggie Sandusky and and their two little twin girls and uh, thank you for the thirteen months that they were able to um, to have their little baby Lottie. Father, we focus on pro-life this morning, um, but recognize that sometimes life doesn't turn out to be exactly what we hoped it would be. Yet in spite of all that, you are in control. That you are aware of all of our lives' needs. And Lord, that you have given your Holy Spirit to be a comforter to all those who mourn and grieve. And so, Father, I pray for those just like Ethan and Maggie this morning who are, who are mourning loss right now and need the comfort of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As Dr. Lederbach mentioned, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Um, you know, over the last several weeks, the the nation's attention has been focused on what we have discovered to be a, a sleepy little corner of the nation in the deep south, and that's the state of Mississippi. Uh, For many many people, um, they probably don't wake up thinking about, I wonder what's happening in the state of Mississippi today. We do, because we wake up in central Mississippi every morning. Um, But the central Mississippi, where where we call home now, has been the focus of, of speculation, intrigue, and discussion revolving around the Supreme Court case that is called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. This case was argued before the the end of last year. We await the Supreme Court's decision. Um, It relates to a 2018 bill that was passed in the Mississippi legislature um, specifically banning abortion after the 15th week of gestation. Now, on some levels you may think, well, you know, Yes, that's a, that's a scaling back of the availability of, of abortion, but we're not talking like a six-week ban. We're not talking about a, a total ban. It's a, it's a 15-week ban. Now, living only about 15 minutes from the State Capitol and going to church with the, the Speaker of the House for the State of Mississippi, um, we've gotten a little bit of a, a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on with this uh, particular bill and this particular case. The reality is is that the Dobbs case perhaps presents us with the most viable opportunity in the last 50 years to have a complete and total overhaul of abortion laws in this country. Um, Now, we don't know what is going to come about, and, and trying to guess what the Supreme Court is going to do is an exercise in futility. However, those that are in the know, those that have been following this, truly believe that if something is going to happen, Now is the time. And it's been interesting to watch both pastors and parishioners, lawyers and laypeople wax eloquent about what may happen. But it's because this issue has become such a lightning rod in our society. And and I get it. We have grown wary now of entering into political discourse. I mean, all you have to do is, is get on social media and, and start following people and, and scrolling and, and think, ah, I, I just don't want to wade into the waters of political discourse. And, and I understand that, but you also have to recognize that we stand on a 2,000 year long history of wading into political discourse particularly on the issue of abortion. So beginning with the late 1st century, early 2nd century documents, the Didache and the Epistle of Barnabas, but particularly with the 2nd century theologian and apologist Athenagoras, there has been a specific statement of the church to speak into the lives of politics on the issue of abortion. Let me read to you what Athanagoras wrote in his plea for Christians. He's writing this to the Roman emperor, and he says, And when we say that those women who use drugs to bring on an abortion commit murder and will have to give an account to God for the abortion, on what principle should we commit murder? For it does not belong to the same person to regard the very fetus in the womb as a created being and therefore an object of God's care, and when it has passed into life to kill it. And not to expose an infant, when it ha- because those who expose them are chargeable with child murder. And on the other hand, when it, has been reared, when it has been reared, to destroy it. But we are in all things always alike and the same, obedient to our rule and not ruling over it. And so here from the second century forward, we have a long history of speaking on this particular issue and speaking to politics and in political spaces. Now, let's be honest. For many politicians, perhaps most politicians, a pro-life position may be little more than political posturing. Now, that's not true of all politicians. There are many that I have met that have a heartfelt conviction on pro-life matters. But surely there are some, many, Who do this for political posturing and to gain votes. But for us as believers, our our convictions regarding life are not merely political. They're not even primarily political. Instead, they must be driven by Scripture and by theology. So with that in mind, let us look at Luke chapter 1, we've got a lot, of, a lot of scripture to cover this morning, so we're going we're gonna to work our way through it quickly, but pick up with me in verse 5, and we're going to read through. Um, we'll begin by, by reading through verse 38, and then we'll pick up the last, uh, another seven or eight verses at the end. Luke 1, chap, uh, verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight. "...living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense." When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her." Luke chapter 1 introduces us to two miraculous conceptions. Sometimes you might think, oh, the mirac- a miraculous conception, we're just talking about Mary here. But no, we're actually talking about both Elizabeth and Mary. The first one involves an older couple. It's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're both descendants of Aaron. Um, Zachariah serves as a priest, um, and he's about to have his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn incense at the altar in the temple. But all is not well. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are childless. And, in a nice way of speaking, they're beyond prime childbearing age. It is no longer in the cards for them to have Children. And so, Zechariah walks into the temple. He presents himself at the altar of incense, and Gabriel appears to him, and he says, God has heard your prayer. Now, there's part of me that wonders, you know, we're, we're not there. We're not in the temple with Zechariah. Luke does not record any more details, but, you know, you, you got to figure, he's a priest. Surely, he's been praying about a lot of things. And Gabriel shows up and says, God's heard your prayers. And, you know, the the sarcastic side of me says, Which one? You know, which prayer has has Zechariah been praying that God has heard? But Gabriel tells him, He says, Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a son. Now, Zechariah is beside himself, and in fact, literally becomes speechless. Uh, because of his response of unbelief. And he's sitting there, and you've got to imagine, he's thinking, how is this going to happen? And why did it take so long? But there's going to be a special child. His name is going to be John. And he is going to walk in the spirit of Elijah and make the way for the Messiah. And he comes out. People are wondering why he can't speak. And his life kind of goes on for normal. He has to finish his temple service. Nothing's changed. He and Elizabeth are still old, they still don't have a child. But God has made a promise, He's made a promise for a miracle. In scripture almost as, a, as an afterthought. It says, when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. And then his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. Notice what she does. She conceives. She's, she conceives a child. It's a miraculous conception, and she hides herself. I mean, Think about what's going on. She is so old that she's embarrassed that she has a child. If this had happened 10, 15, maybe 20 years earlier, she would have been celebrating, she would have been out with friends, they would have been throwing parties, and now she's like, hmm, people my age aren't supposed to have children, so I'm just going to go and seclude myself. And, And Scripture tells us for five months, she secludes herself. But note her response in verse 25. She says, the Lord has done this for me. It's miraculous. She's been, we, don't, we don't know how long they've been praying for this, but it has to have been for years. And finally, what she says, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has provided a child. Because what Elizabeth recognizes here is that God is the author of life. He is the one Who provides life in the womb? He is the one who makes the way for this miraculous conception. But that's not the only miraculous conception in this passage. The second one is even more familiar and and even more unusual. So during the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel shows up on the scene again. This time he shows up to a woman at the opposite end of the childbearing spectrum. He's just visited a family that is too old to have children, and now he comes to a young woman who's not even married. She's betrothed to Joseph, and he appears to her and tells her, you too are going to have a child. In fact, he uses Elizabeth's pregnancy as, a, as confirmation of the the ability that God is going to provide again for this, and he says, you are going to bear a child. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we actually see a little bit more details of what's going on, and so I want us, with the help of Matthew and a little bit of our sanctified imagination, I want us to walk through a little bit of, of what was probably happening in the life of Joseph and Mary. So Mary has been visited by Gabriel, and Gabriel shows up, and he says, you're going to have a child. And she says, listen, I've not had sexual relations with a man, I'm betrothed to this man Joseph, but we haven't done anything, it's not possible for me to have a child. And he says, "The, the power of the Lord is going to come upon you, and you are going to conceive, and you are going to bear the Son of the Most High. Now, she's had an encounter with an angel, and so I think she gets it. She understands this is is unusual, but God is working in an unusual way, and he is providing the means for salvation for mankind that he has promised, beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, moving forward, and now the time has come. But at this point, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph doesn't know what's going on. So imagine with me for a moment, put yourself in, in Joseph's shoes, So Mary shows up at the carpentry shop. She's probably got a plate of cookies, brownies—I don't know—something, you know, because difficult news usually serve better with a plate of food. And so, so she shows up, and she's she's like, "Hey Joseph, I brought you some brownies. You you know, your favorite brownies that have the marshmallows in them, all that kind of stuff. You know, you want to come out? You want to come out over here in the alley? And um, I've got some news to tell you." like, okay. You know, as he's grabbing two brownies and he's starting to stuff them in his mouth and he's just excited to see her. And, all, and, and so they walk over into the alley away from the shop and she's like, so there's something important that I need to tell you. It's like, what is it? You know, I, I can take it, whatever it is. And she goes, I'm pregnant. And it, immediately, you know, if you're Joseph, you're like, hold on just a second. Like you know, nothing's happened. You know how how's this? How in the world is this happening? She goes, "Don't worry. I know. I know. This is not what you expected, but don't worry. It's the Holy Spirit's baby. <laughs> An angel came and talked to me last night. You know, Mary and Zachariah's experience was not normal." You know, we don't find all throughout Scripture, like every person we encounter has, you know, Gabriel comes down and tells them a bunch of news. We don't even know if Joseph knew anything about Zechariah and Elizabeth at this point. And I'm I'm here to tell you, the first thing that went through Joseph's mind is, I'm about to marry a crazy woman. (laughs) She has lost her mind. And you know what Matthew tells us? Matthew tells us that because of this, he decided that he was going to put her away. Now, he was going to do so quietly. He could have publicly embarrassed her, but, it, but Matthew tells us because he's a righteous man, he's going to put her away quietly until the angel appears to him, confirms everything that Mary says, and says, you're going to marry this woman, and you're going to raise this child. It's a miraculous conception. And so you may be thinking, okay, that, that's great. This, this sounds like a Christmas message, and, and we get this at Christmas time, and I get it, you know, and, and we, we can talk about the incarnation and all that kind of stuff. So, what does this have to do with the abortion debate? Think about the circumstances for a second. Two unusual conceptions. On one hand, you have a couple that are way too old to be having a child. It's undoubtedly a high-risk pregnancy. People are probably asking them, do you really have the energy and the stamina to raise this child? Do you realize how old you're gonna be when this kid graduates from high school? With Mary, she's an unwed mother. Her soon-to-be husband is not the father. This child's life is going to be scarred from day one. In fact, if you, if you thought, well, maybe they can hide it and nobody will know, go read John chapter 8. Oh, when the Pharisees wanted to get a dig in on Jesus, they say, well, you know, we're not children of fornication. You know the story they were, they were told. Today, these circumstances would warrant whispers of abortion. These circumstances would drive people to ask, you know, should I really have this child? Should I really ruin my future with an unplanned pregnancy? But to go down that road denies God's role as the author of life see, it's not just these miraculous conceptions that we see here in Luke chapter 1 that describe God's role in the miracle of life. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, David declares, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. God made us. He is the one who has knit us together in our mother's wombs. God is the author of the miracle of life. And this miracle extends to all of us. That's exactly the point that Job makes in Job 31, 15. He says, did not the one who made me in the womb also make them? Did not the same God form us both in the womb? He's saying all of us, God has formed all of us. God is the author of life. You know, technology has actually aided us in this. I mean, have you looked at ultrasounds of a child developing in the womb? I mean, I'll never forget when, when my wife was pregnant with our first child. We went and had an ultrasound, found out that we were having a girl, and, and we called my mom. And, uh, and my mom you know we told her hey listen you're gonna have a girl you're gonna have a granddaughter and we've already picked out a name and you know my mom's all excited this first grandchild and you know the first thing she wants to do is go have something embroidered with with Molly's name on it and but she kept asking me, she, are you, are you sure are you, you know you know when you when I was pregnant with you they you know they thought that you might have been a girl you know and I said I said well what did they base that on she goes well you know they kind of tracked your heart rate and you know whether it was fast or slow was and i said mom it's been a few years <laughs> technology has advanced we're we, we didn't we are not basing this on on how fast the heart rate is you look at and, and even in the 17 years since our daughter was born technology continues to advance and you know what it tells us that life developing in the womb is miraculous God is the author of life. In the following verses here, verses 39 through 45, we also see that God gives us his perspective on life. In those days, Mary set out on a, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. So this is after the angel has come to her, and she goes, well, i, I got to go find my relative Elizabeth. So when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord, did you catch that? How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see when the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will, would fulfill what he has spoken to her. As we dig into the abortion debate, we, we have to recognize that, that one of the, the most significant issues relates to the matter of personhood. Is, and, and it really is the question of whether personhood is inherent in human life or if it is achieved by acquiring certain behaviors, characteristics, tendencies, or attributes. What we see in Luke chapter one testifies to the fact that personhood is inherent in human life. Notice the reaction of both John and Elizabeth upon Mary's arrival with the unborn Messiah. So so first, when, when Mary, enters Elizabeth's home and greets her relative Elizabeth, the unborn John, he's not yet the Baptist, but the unborn John leaps in her womb. Now, I, I don't know how this happened. I mean, we, we can speculate all day long. We, we see earlier that Gabriel tells Zechariah that, that his son was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. So that's, that's the only explanation that I can have for this. But Mary walks in the door. She says, hey, Elizabeth, what's going on? And John begins to jump for joy in his mother's womb. And it's not because it's like, oh, cousin Mary showed up. It's so nice to see you. Maybe she brought some of those good brownies with the chocolate and marshmallows in them too. No, it's because he knew somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, he knew that there he was in the presence of the Messiah. And he leaps for joy in her womb. And then Elizabeth, Elizabeth has a similar response. Mary walks in. Elizabeth feels John leaping in her womb, and she exclaims with a loud cry in verse forty-two: "Blessed are you among women, and your child will also be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me?" She pronounces a blessing upon both Mary and Jesus, and she makes one of the most important statements about the unborn Messiah that she could ever make. I mean, I think this is on on par with Peter's proclamation to Jesus when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Elizabeth's statement here is on par with Peter's proclamation. And she says, This is the mother of my Lord. My Lord is in your womb. He is the Messiah. So both John and Elizabeth's reactions here give testament to the fact that there in the womb is real personhood, real value, real worth, And in fact, in that womb is the same person who will walk the hills and valleys of Judea and Galilee and Samaria, interacting with people, healing people, proclaiming God's word to people. And and these reactions are very much in keeping with what we find in other places in Scripture. Let's go back to Psalm 139 again and look in verse 16. In verse 16, David writes this. He says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So hundreds of years earlier, David is saying, Listen, before I ever stepped out of the womb, Before I ever came out of my mother's womb, God, you had every day planned. You knew everything about my life. And so from God's perspective, the life inside the womb is no different than the life outside the womb. The person in the womb is the same as the person out of the womb. And so, even as Dr. Lederbach said, from from conception to natural death, from God's perspective, there is no distinction. In fact, we we could even apply that even further and say, not only at the point of natural death, but then for all of eternity, God's perspective on who we are, it's the same. From conception to eternity, God sees the same person. So, therefore, if God is the author of life and God views human life in the womb with no difference and no distinction from life outside the womb, then shouldn't we see it the same way? And shouldn't we work to protect that life And without going too far afield, we, we need to recognize as well that not only is it, it are these questions of personhood applied in the 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 beginning of life conversations, but it's the same conversation at the end of life. When you have that parent, that grandparent. I can't feed themselves anymore. I don't remember your name. They don't know who you are. Same person from God's perspective. So, what does that mean for us today? How should we address the abortion debate in our culture? Right now, what do we do? Well, we, we wait with anticipation. Maybe in the next three to six months, we hear a response from the court. We can pray, and pray specifically for the Supreme Court justices to be swayed by a biblical understanding of life in the womb. We can also speak prophetically to the culture on these matters, knowing that we stand not only on Scripture, but also on a 2,000-year-long tradition of addressing this matter in political discourse. But more importantly, we should take away from this passage not merely a, a plan for discussing and debating abortion but we need to walk away with this, from this passage with an emphasis on the celebration of life. You see, God is the author of life, and the magnificent miracle of life that's discussed in this passage actually points us to a much greater miracle. If it weren't for this miraculous conception here, a school like Southeastern wouldn't exist. You see, the life that is exhibited in this womb that John leaps for joy when he hears about, when he hears. Mary's greeting, and when Elizabeth says, this is my Lord, that is the life that leads to eternal life. So the miraculous conception here inspires us to protect life in the womb. But it should help us think to the message of eternal life that comes through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the miracle of life. And Lord, we know that you are not sitting in heaven wringing your hands over what the Supreme Court is going to decide. And no matter what the Supreme Court decides, our, our mission has not changed. Our convictions do not change. But Lord, we do pray for the court. We do pray for the justices. We pray for those that are speaking into their thoughts and minds and arguments. Lord, that there would be an opportunity, even in our political structure in this country, to honor life. But no matter what happens, Lord, we know that you are the author of life and the protector of life. And may we stand on your word as we honor life both in the womb and outside the womb. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit SCBTS.edu.